Hello, welcome to Sonic Talk episode uh, 691, postponed from last week. I'm starting to blush. I can feel the tops of my ears go red because I've had such a, a poor technical start to the show. I um, do apologise for that. It will be back to normal. Uh, last week I had to postpone. I wasn't feeling so well. Uh, so uh, we will hopefully be back to normal uh, next week. Uh, this is the podcast to do with music technology. Music technology, we cover all things to do with uh, the instruments, synthesizers, all that kind of stuff. So I want to say uh, thank you very much to our uh, uh, chatties. We've got people in the YouTube live stream. We've got people in the IRC and on the Discord and the Twitch. And of course, if you fancy supporting us, you can join us on Patreon. Uh, we're posting a lot of stuff. In fact, we started to post uh, custom sample packs with using the decent sample as I said I was going to do. Got one there from the RC505, which is a review we just posted. Also some sounds from the Insonic SQ, uh, the Arturia SQ80V plugin from Chris Midiera. So I want to say thank you to him for posting those. If you want to join us, just head over to patreon.com forward slash Sonic State. So let's see if anything else works. I'm now feeling a little bit underconfident that all the rest of my tech is going to work. We'll hope it does, but uh, we'll just have to see. So let's say hello to some guests. Uh, we'll start over there in uh, Brighton with uh, Mr. Steve Hillier. Ah, Stevehillier.net. How are you, Steve? Uh, uh, is everything working? Can you hear me? Over. Uh, uh, yeah, no, everything's working, Nick. Um, Phew. I, I'm just road testing my new MacBook Pro here, actually, and um, it, seems to, it seems to be working perfectly well. Although, as we were sort of discussing earlier, I had Dropbox running in the background, which seems to just want to take all the resources it can possibly take simultaneously. Uh, but I've uh, I forced quit that, and now I think we're cooking with, uh, should we say, gas? Yeah, well, they're, they're starting to come. I, I'm, I'm actually not running the show on an M1 here. I've just got the one that Apple sent, and I've been testing that. So I'm going to be doing a video this week, hopefully, of kind of what my thoughts are and what it's good for and all those sort of things. I've got the the 14-inch uh, base model, uh, which, to be honest, is not that much different to when the other, you know, the, the, even the first-generation M1s in terms of performance because they're so massively powerful for the sort of stuff that yeah. we do that, you know, the the slightly yeah. more didn't, didn't seem to make as much difference as I thought. But uh, good to see. The camera's good. Your camera look because it's a 1080 camera, isn't it? And the mic is probably better as well because I think that's true. So yeah, yeah, I, I, it it looks really nice on my screen. Although I've made the classic mistake of being lit by the sun over here and from behind <laughs> as well. And maybe I should work that out. Maybe the next time. It's easy to easy to, easy to do, but uh, yes. Uh, well, thank you for joining us, Steve. Lovely to have you. We've also got Mr. Matt Hodson, aka Maths, who uh, is there in his modular studio in uh, where he's a producer, composer, yeah. and also works for BIM as an educator as well. How are you, then, Matt? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, someone keeps saying whenever I'm on Zoom calls and I've got this behind me, people keep saying I could if it all goes wrong, I could just end up working in a telephone exchange. <laughs> Although I don't know if they still do it like that anymore. I guess it's all digital these I'm days. I'm pretty sure they don't, yeah. I don't know. But, uh, all yeah, I'm all good. I've, this is my um, this is my latest amazing addition to the studio, which is a brush. Ah, the um, Bafaco decorator's brush, yes. Yeah, it's like a decorator's brush, and it's just brilliant for just getting dust off things. It just gets, even while everything's patched, it's just so cool for cleaning stuff. And... Uh, they're really, really cheap, and you can see already the amount of rubbish that's coming off it. Um, so, yeah, that's that's my latest addition to the studio. Other than that, just um, working on this month's tune, 
only two months away from completing my um, my project this year, which was to release one song every single month. And uh, I've got two more to do, and then I've done it. So um, nice. yeah, just working on that at the minute. But yeah, good to be here. Are you me. are you going to uh, are you going to take a break or are you going to start back on the twelve again or how's that going to work? Mm, it's a good question. I'm actually going to do a video, sort of talking about the benefits of releasing a song every month, and for, you know, for the for the independent music producer and what the benefits are, what the pros and cons are. Um, I think I'm going to continue though, just to kind of summarise that, but hang tight for the for the video because i'll you know i'll share some stats on on sales on streaming on social media engagement and all that kind of thing it's been a bit of a research project so brilliant but yeah it's it's been good and thanks for everyone who supported me that sounds like a great idea actually what a brilliant idea um i'd be, be very interested to know that stuff myself i mean as we know i mean we're actually now a year into our patreon experiment and uh, launch and so starting still figuring stuff out it's very different when you start to work with that mindset it becomes a completely different sort of yeah. process and you've really got to think about it to, to a degree you don't always get it right from the beginning that's the sort of difficult thing and then you think well what do i do now yeah. how do i change it yeah so and of course the, the next thing now what i'm looking into actually for next year just to let you all know is obviously nfts with uh, and what they mean and and different ways um of of using them not just for selling songs but actually for selling things like merchandise and physical products as well so um that's the next thing for next year right wow okay sounds like lots of stuff to come anyway thanks matt we've also got mr rich hilton who's there in connecticut uh uh who is a live keyboard player for chic uh, works with nile rogers in the studio as many other things and as a producer all kinds of stuff how are you doing rich you well yes thank you i'm very well glad Happy to hear it uh, yeah because you've been you were on travels weren't you for a while so are you having a bit of a break from that or are you uh, back on the road again soon no, I expect to be home for a while. Ah, excellent. And uh, next year should be a pretty busy one, according to what I'm told. Right. So. Well, enjoy it while you can. I think it's probably the way to do it because, as we all know, as uh, it's, it's often feast or famine, isn't it, in the music business? You're either kind of too busy or not busy enough. It's hard to be just just right busy, um, I find. Anyway, that's the thing, uh, although I'm not particularly doing much of this, that sort of thing these days. Anyway, right, well, let's get on with some stuff. Let's see what's first. Uh, what's the... Oh, yeah, well, of course, we've got... Uh, let me just do this one. And I think I've got a button here for this. It's the new boutiques. We've got a JX08. There's David Ireland playing in here. And we've also got, uh, I think this is the JX. Oh no, this is the JD08, I beg your pardon. My mistake. Which is the sort of, it's funny, isn't it? It's like the Jupiter 8, seeing this sort of massive muscle synth that was sort of reduced in size like a stock cube it's like a stock cube of a synthesizer nowadays <laughs> uh, and uh, we've also got um i think there's another but yeah there's another one which is the roland jx08 which is the based on the jx80p and i believe these use abd rather than a a oh, what's the word a ACM. acb it's acb 
So yeah, two new boutiques. I mean, this is kind of a big deal. And one thing that makes these a little different, I mean, because the early boutiques, I think they were using ACB, which is uh, analog component. Um, ACE, oh God, I can't remember the terminology. There's so many different ones. But they were quite limited in terms of voices. Quite often, so we have the, the JP08, which was, again, this sort of muscle synth reduced down to these tiny little things. Uh, but also with... Um, only eight, only four voices. In this case, I believe the JD has 128 voices, but that's across all partials because you can have four partials per voice. So I guess that would make it 32 if you were using all four. And the JX uh, that I'm told is 20, but again, it's unclear um, from the uh, specifications exactly whether that's you know per oscillator or per part. Uh, also, some multi. I mean, but. Essentially, what they've done, it feels like they've added more DSP in terms of polyphony to the previous things. I know, Steve, you were quite keen on these. Are you a, a sort of boutique fan? Because the, there's something about them, isn't there? They were kind of thought of a little bit, as sort of people sort of looked down on them. But now they've become like, they're very desirable little things to have about, actually. Particularly because you could just hook them up to almost anything and USB them via MIDI. And then suddenly you've got that. I mean, how do you feel about this? Are you going to be going for it? Well... Uh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, the, the ergonomics, I, I know people complain about them being small, and it, it's, it's obvious, they are small, but they, they look lovely. They really do. In fact, I, I, got, um, I ended up getting two of each of the first three, which was the, the first version of the Juno, there was the Jupiter, and also the JX3P, simply because I just like being around them. I know that sounds a little bit kind of odd, but... <laughs> I, I, Fun <laughs> friends. You know, uh, yeah. Um, and uh, there's a boutique that I use every single day now, uh, which is the SEO2, which is just behind this camera here. Ah, um, right. That's a bit again, different, though, it, isn't it? Because yeah, that's actually... It, that's analog analog, isn't it? That's a slightly different uh, yeah. beast, yeah. But it's, that's absolutely right. You're absolutely right. Um, but in terms of the shape and how the machine feels... I think it's great, and it's just so handy to have uh, units that you can just pick up and move around without, um, you know, being too concerned about your back, for example, or inducing right. a hernia, which was, of course, was one of the big issues with the original uh, JD eight hundred. I, I had, um, I, I had a, I went around the world really in the nineties with a, a JD eight hundred, the original, and it's. It's heavy. <laughs> I've never really understood why it's quite so heavy, but it really is. Um, and of course, I had, it was in a flight case for me as well. Um, and together, the combination of the weight of the synth and the weight of the flight case, it came in, a, I think it was something like 27 kilograms, which the best way to visualize that is it's uncomfortably heavy, no matter how you carry it. But, um, but it was... Uh, a synthesizer that I had a, a really quite, I don't know, love-hate relationship mm. with. Because when I first got it, it was it was the, the first synthesizer I bought with the uh, advance that came from uh, when my old band signed to Food Records. And so there was a sentimental uh, attachment to that. But it also, it was the fact that you, we were returning at that point, at least it felt like, to synthesizers that had lots and lots of sliders and knobs on, having spent... I don't know, for me at least, it felt like the best part of a decade where yeah. uh, hands-on controls were being removed. Yeah, I, I, as we can see on, a, for example, a JX8P, uh, which the other boutique is made on. So it meant that for someone like me who just never really used presets, 
I could make my own sounds again and it could be easy and it could be enjoyable. And that was, um, I think why I kind of kept, I've kept this machine with me until this uh, very day. It's, it's an actually really enjoyable uh, machine to work with tactily. Uh, and also I, one thing I, I, I've noticed and really like, at least from the photos and videos I've seen of the JD-08, is they've kept the same kind of color for the uh, dashboard, I suppose. And the same color LEDs, same kind of sliders. And that was a really big part of using the JD800. There was this, it felt like it was a huge palette in front of you with just looked nice to, uh, to work with. On the downside, though, um, and one thing I don't think is going to be an issue with this recreation, um, I had uh, the dreaded red glue problem with the jd800 have you heard of this <laughs> no <laughs> <laughs> okay it, it, it's a quite a famous thing almost everybody who got a jd800 ended up with the keyboard essentially melting away which uh, the the resin that held the weights wow. underneath the keys just started to i suppose disintegrate and perish and so you'd end up with and i i did um a whole load of glue just coming out of the keyboard and going everywhere and it was, it was really strong glue but it was just it just you know um, <laughs> that's weird gone everywhere that's weird god yeah 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 I, I, apparently it happened with a, a few other models that Roden brought out at the time um but yeah this happened to me Oops. so it kind of it kind of rendered the machine useless for a bit um i got in contact with Roland about this and, and to their credit they sent over a replacement uh, keyboard com for completely for free so it's just a question of opening up the machine and you know removing some connectors and sticking it back in um and the other thing of course though and i think i think this might be why i might not be getting a jdoa is the sound of the machine is it's not quite there if you know what i mean <laughs> there's certain things that the J, jd800 did <laughs> right, uh, really rather well uh, but lots of things it, it couldn't really do so people sort of talk about this being a great uh, pad machine a bit like uh, people say for the d50 for example but it's not got the kind of detail and life that you would would have expected for example from a wave station which was released the same year as i seem to recall or even the d50 so you take that out of the equation maybe what you are left with though that it does sound really good at it's two things in my experience it's got a lovely bottom end a uh. really kind of soft round <laughs> i don't want to call it warm but just round nice bottom end to it which um I, I use for this very uh, day and and also it's great at making distorted sounds there's a very famous um use of a preset from a jd800 by the prodigy i think it's the tune voodoo people it's um it sounds like an electric guitar being played but actually it's a jd800 ah. so oh, interesting yeah yeah yeah. It's a, it's a, yeah yeah it, it's um it, it's what we're hearing because whoever programmed that sound did such a good job. It's a quite an incredible thing to play. I wonder if Mr. Um, Persing had so a hand in want, any of that. Yeah. yeah. So, you know, if you want a, uh, a recreation of an early 90s digital synth, which is, just has a unique feel in the bottom end and can help you to sound like the Prodigy, I think Maybe this is a boutique for you. 
<laughs> I know, Rich, it's interesting because, I mean, I know, you know, this would have been, we were all using digital synths in the studio because of convenience and that's what was available. I mean, I guess around the time that you were probably, you know, in Synclavier world, was this on the radar? Did you have one of these around? Because, I mean, this would have been one of the first big hands-on machines that came out because analogue was just not a thing when this was around or not a thing anymore, shall we say, in polysynths that terms. Yes, we had one. And uh, yes, I used it. And as Steve points out, it was it marked a significant return to physical controls on the topology of the instrument so that you could affect many things at the same time or get at many things without menu diving. We had just come, as he pointed out, uh, from a menu diving world where the controls had been taken away and you had to go after parameters in in depths that were uncomfortable. So this was a big deal at the time. I think it's cute the way they've modeled the uh, kind of angled left side of the panel um, and the buttons thereupon. And, yeah, uh, that is cute, isn't it? Yeah, and it sounded sounded good in the demo videos to me. I mean, obviously, I haven't laid hands on one, um, and obviously, it's got mini keys and not that many of them. But uh, I think that's the case that great. you get with it. I think that's the case you get with it because yeah. there's there's an A100 thing that you can slot the boutiques into. I, I don't see. I don't think it's actually part of the the base model, but I they see. they demonstrate them it. on their on. I think anyway, but I, I'd probably have to double check that. It does look cute. I mean, the JX uh, is also cute. I mean, I, the thing is, it's like the J the JX08 and the J J3 are sort of. I, they seem like they're probably quite similar, to be honest. But I, maybe I'm wrong. Well, the JX series in general were real favorites of mine, particularly the JX10. Um, because it had more of what the JX was <laughs> eight was eight uh, P was offering, um, and the subsequent MKS seventy rack mount version of the JX ten, um, all of which were some of my favorite synthesizers in that period. And this thing does allow, I think, uh, layering of two programs simultaneously. If I yeah. got the just the video correctly, so that kind of makes it a little more like a JX ten anyway. Um, and that one. Uh, if I was picking one of these two, that's probably the one I'd go for first. But um, they both they both instruments look fantastic for the size, shape, money, sound, quality. Yeah. I don't have that point of comparison that Steve has because I didn't spend quite so much time on the JD-800 and I didn't tour with it. So um, I, I, the differences in sound quality may have been somewhat lost on me, but in general, they both sounded really good to me. In the demo videos and i quite enjoyed the guy doing the demo videos yeah david Ireland's a great uh, he's a great guy um matt it's interesting i imagine the the boutiques i, I i'm, I'm going to paint you a little picture here right so i'm guessing right when people come to visit the campus at bims go i'd really like to go here if you had a room with a ton of boutiques all over the place that just looked like a candy store do you think that might influence people whether people sort of you know is that the sort of thing that you might choose to have around the place because i mean they're easier to easier to replace easier to kind of use i mean a boutique's the sort of thing that you guys as educators would have in the building well yes i guess i guess we would mainly from the standpoint that as if we was to buy originals you know if we had to get them repaired or they got broken they're out of action for ages, whereas these relatively easy to to get new ones in or to get something replaced along the same lines. They're also ultra portable as well, which means that we can move them around from one place to another, allow students to take them home 
um, and yes, that, that that's kind of true. thing. So, and that they're absolutely fine with it. Actually, um, I do a lot of the open days at, at BIM, and when they go look at our resources, we've just built two new electronic music production suites, which which are essentially built around a lot of the there's the boutiques in there, and there's actually some of the new um, Behringer yeah, um, clients in there as well. And, and students uh, and pr prospective students and that, they're really uh, into it. They're really open to it because that's what they're using. Um, that, you know, they're affordable. So that's what, that's what they're tending to go to. Um, and the same actually goes sometimes with software. Sometimes we're doing quite advanced stuff using maybe, um, I don't know, a suite of Waves plugins or even the Isotope stuff, which are fantastic. But sometimes students just want to be taught how can I achieve the best results with the stock plugins as well? You know, yeah. um, show me what you can do with just the Ableton or the Pro Tools or the Logic stock plugins and go from there. That's We're getting more and more of that, actually, um, and how, how they can get those sort of sounds, uh, sounds that they want using, you know, the, the kind of bundled stuff that they get with them. So they're all up for this. I mean, they, I mean how can you not? I mean, they do sound incredible. Um you know, I'm with Steve on these, and I really, really think these are great-sounding um, uh, machines. I bought the JX03. It seemed to be the one that nobody wanted, so that was the one that I bought. To get bought. a deal. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I, I really loved it. Um, unfortunately, I had to sell it recently because I'm trying to, trying to raise some money for things. And um, that, was, that was one of the things to go, which was a shame. I absolutely loved it. And... One thing that I wish they'd accommodated for this, and you probably knew I was going to bring this up, but they don't fit in a 3U. Well, they, actually, they do fit in a 3U right. here for Eurorack, but all the connectors are on the top. So without uh. drilling some holes and moving some connections around, you can't plug anything in because they can hit the roof of these rails. Ah, that's a, that's a shame. That, for me, I don't know why did they not... Did they do that on purpose? Did they not think about that? Were they really just not thinking about that market? I mean, you can actually buy 19-inch um, rack ears as well for them. People have done some that, some that glue on, some that screw in. Um, but um, but I, I think for some people, certainly for me, to have these rack mounted, as because um, you can have so many of them, they're so affordable, and you can obviously have one master MIDI keyboard for them. To have them rack mounted in, in something like this, I think ergonomically would work really really well um so i i wonder why why that was maybe missed and and maybe that's just a modular fanboy here just saying i wish that they fit in a in a modular case because i'd love to have one sat here to do polyphony or i'd love to have the 808 or the 909 there just to just to um call up those sounds without having to you know use my sampler or or a computer you know that yeah. kind of thing so Interesting. i think they'll do well i wonder i don't know if they're going to be uh limited because some some of them you know you could they they did limited editions of uh and they i did. think i think these are 399 us so they're the, the standard boutique price anyway i, I just you, thought i'd throw because that was sorry can i sorry yeah. yeah i just wanted to ask one question was What's what is the difference in terms of technology that they use? Obviously, one's hardware, one's software, but the rolling cloud stuff. How different is that from the the actual um, 
the, let's say the coding and things like that. How different th- is that from the boutiques? Do you know? Are th- they very different? No, I think they're quite interchangeable because uh, you can run you can run Zencore stuff in the more mo- in the in the modern uh, in, in the JX. Uh, oh gosh, the J- Jupiter XM and Jupiter X. There are certain keyboards that will run those code bases, so they will run in hardware, okay. and they will also run ACB models and the A. Uh, a, a God, what's the other one? I can't remember the two the two ones. I'm sorry, I'm not, the, the okay, acronyms have escaped me. And I think they're yeah. interchangeable. It's just a more limited parameter set, as far as I understand. I mean, I, I think that's how it works. Uh, Nick, I, I could I just mention I um, I was trying to replace my. I've had a lifetime's worth of Junos, and I, I decided to jump into um, the boutique Juno first, and then the Roland Cloud. Uh, version of the Juno and then latterly the system eight version of the Juno. So we got the same sort of thing running on a few different platforms and they sound basically identical to me. Right. I guess you know, it's just differences in A to D and D to A. sound identical to they should do yeah, because yeah, yeah. they're the, they're the um, code base. I mean, they, the, I mean that's the point. I, I think that's that's the uh, that's the point of it. So yeah, I mean that's what Roland yeah. are heading for to try and bring it all together. Okay. Okay, well there you go. I hope I mean, there's an answer. Someone for in you. the um, someone in the chat room. Yeah, thanks for that, Steve. Someone actually in the chat room mentioned that the um, ABM. Yeah, Wagyu actually said that there's the three U rack version of the was it the one M system one M. Yes. So uh, they had they had that there. It was available in that one, but not in these new ones. So well, they the put all the connectors thickened. on the top. They put all the connectors on the top yeah. in that one, that, and that was different because they were the. Uh, they weren't boutique. They were the uh, what's the the ones with kind of things. The, the, yeah, I can't remember what they were called now. I've forgotten the range. Gosh, my system one plug in system one like the that. system one stuff. Yeah, the plug out systems. Right. Um, I should yeah, just probably out. have a quick word from our friends over at uh, if you're not familiar, the uh, the Black Friday deals have already started. Artoria are kicking off Black Friday with their biggest ever fifty percent off sale. You've got till December the eighth to save fifty percent off V Collection eight, Effects Collection two, and Pigments three plus Spectrum Sound Packs. Of course, V Collection is a huge collection of iconic instruments, new instruments including the OBX-AV, the Emulator 2V, the Juno 6V and the Vocoder V, as well as many other favourites. FX Collection 2 also adds EQs, uh, Compressor Diode, uh, Bus Force and the, the classic DIMD, as well as uh, Phaser, Flanger, Chorus Juno 6 plus other EQs, delays and other processing. And of course, Pigments is their, well, flagship software synth that's not anything specific, but is a very impressive instrument in its own right with a fantastic modulation matrix. If you're already a customer, log in and get even more discounts. Just head over to Artoria.com right now. Yeah, and we thank them for their support of the show. And yeah, good deals on there at the moment. So well worth checking out. Wow. In fact, uh, we're probably um, going to be talking about some Black Friday deals maybe next week as we get right into the thick of it. Because I think, you know, as November's almost in the same way that October in the whole month is Halloween now these days, <laughs> Black Friday deals is kind of almost the whole of November and quite a lot of December as well. So uh, we'll get onto that. Um, okay, right. Um, let's get into a little bit of. Uh, True analogness. This is really, really analog. Let me just uh, make sure I've queued it up. Here we go. This is uh, Look Mum's No Computer Pendulum Clock, uh, which is a thing of beauty. This is a thing that he made uh, that is essentially based around this old piece of hardware that used to run all the clocks in a building. 
I thoroughly encourage you to uh, check the video out. I won't play the whole thing because uh, should, he should get the views, not us. Um, look, Mum and Co. Th now, this is really interesting because he's basically taken... Uh, what, now, what's it called? I would get this right. It's called... I think it's either Gents of Leicester or Gents of Leicester. It's a master clock, which is basically a pendulum that was powered by solenoids, but also ran relays, which would run multiple clocks over electricity through the building. So they would all be completely synchronised. I mean, I don't know why you would need that. I guess, you know, if you've got very fixed uh, kind of clocking off and clocking on times, kind of early computational stuff. And there were all sorts of things that were connected to dials and incrementation and subdivisions of essentially 120 BPM, and he goes into that. But what he's done is also built something which takes those clocks and subdivides them down, and you can adjust the, the modulation bits in between. It's a really interesting uh, piece of electromechanical work, and I must say I thought it was charming. I don't know, Rich, did you get a chance to look at this? It's a, it's a beautiful kind of... Uh, it's just a, in the way that he only seems to be able to do. He, sort of, he, he revels in the kind of almost the... Uh, the the, the kind of ridiculous complexity of elder technology and it's but it's a thing of beauty I, I loved this i loved it too and i thought it was fantastic that he went out and got himself a pendulum specifically for this purpose T to your question about why it would have been desirable back then particularly in a school setting where I, classes are being switched on a on a scheduled basis throughout the day having all the clocks in the school building arriving at that time when the class is going to switch uh, at the same moment uh, maximizes the possibility that that's going to take place. Um, but his use of it and the way he's subdividing it and using control voltages generated from those subdivided clocks, that, that was fascinating to me and I really enjoyed it and uh, love his enthusiasm. And, yeah, uh, it, really it's absolutely brilliant, thing. isn't it? Uh, incidentally, if you want to check the uh, Museum of Obsolete Things, uh, I think, uh, there's, yeah, the museum, sorry, this museum is not obsolete. Uh, it's in Ramsgate, unfortunately, which is about as far east as you can get in the UK. Because I, I thought next time I was in London, I'd go out. I didn't realise it was so far away. But uh, I don't know. What do you think about this, Matt? I mean, I imagine this appeals to you enormously. This is the sort of thing that you would probably encourage BIMs to put in a room and drive all of their synthesizers just so that you could tell a voltage off right <laughs> yeah either that or just bring in one of my clock uh dividers or, or something yeah, like that I but know, yeah but it's I mean, not this, the same is it yeah it's not it's great i love the stuff that sam does i don't know if you've ever met sam but um, i have yeah he's um, a great guy really enthusiastic he's just like that in real life yeah he he turned up uh, i was doing a gig with gig with Heinbach and uh he turned up while we were sound checking that um while we we're all trying to plug in all the equipment and he's sort of running around doing his thing um, yeah, he's really cool. He does some really interesting stuff. And I kind of, I get a little bit envious, really, because I miss having the time to have this kind of, yeah, the time to experiment in the way that he does. I used to used to love doing stuff with my students where we would, we would do things like the old Steve Reich uh, pendulum music and throw microphones up into the air over rafters and swing them above amplifiers and creating feedback mechanisms um, from that kind of thing. And and doing all that kind of stuff, I must admit, I I miss having that sort of time to experiment. And I love his energy with this. And just watching one of his his videos just kind of um, just taps me back into that that way of thinking about sound, and creating sound, and different starting points and that kind of thing. You know, I'm not suggesting there's any one right way, of course, to approach music, but I think there's lots of different ways to approach music and music production. 
And um, just often things like this can make you just think, yeah, you know what? Why am I always using this or always my go-to that? Try something new, a new starting point, whether it's just going out with your iPhone and recording something in the park, bringing it back and saying, I'm just going to use the sound from that as the starting point. Whether, whether it's downloading a free plug-in synthesizer that's you know just really basic and, and working with that, whether it's um, just allowing yourself to use two or three pieces of kit you've got in your studio and that kind of thing. It's just these different kind of starting points and approaches that I think I think we're all kind of geeks in a way in music production. We, we love that creativity. We love that engineering, the, the fusion of technical and creative aspects and um and we've just got to remember just to keep keep ourselves involved with with all of these kind this kind of mindset um you don't always have to start by opening up your laptop and opening up the blank daw yeah that kind of thing so um yeah it's really cool really good fun it's interesting, Steve, isn't it? You know, our professional lives, we quite often, we spend all this time trying to streamline our workflow and kind of reduce the friction. Whereas, you know, people like Sam, who has the time to kind of almost create more friction, but by that, by doing so, creates a sort of unique perspective. And it gives, so it's a, re- it's a really fine line between doing it. But I, I, have you been to the museum? I think mm. we should, we should arrange a, maybe a Sonic State group to- coach tour or something and go, go and visit uh-huh. it when it's safe. Uh, no, no, I, I haven't. Uh, I haven't visited it. I'm afraid. It, it is a, a quite an inspiring video, um, and uh, it, it's reminded me of a few things. That um, first of all, uh, you, you were talking about the the clock comes from a manufacturer in Leicester. I should imagine it's uh, a Victorian design, or maybe late Georgian. I, I don't know. I'm kind of guessing here. Oh, it's electromechanical. Yeah. Ah. Well, um, uh, towards the end of this road here, um, there's a clock that uh, was built by the Victorians that connected from essentially the centre of Brighton to the centre of London in a place called Greenwich. So uh, if you don't know the geography, that's probably the best part of 60 miles, but they were directly connected so that if you were a rich person at the time, you could come down to Brighton and go and stand in the middle of it and know that you were seeing exactly the same time that you would have been seeing if you were in the middle of Greenwich. And that I always found was kind of nice. But it was one other thing that this video made me think of, Nick, and it's to do with clocking in general. Um, there's something nice about that mechanism, which when it was designed would have been state of the art and and as accurate as they could possibly make it for lots of different reasons uh you know as, as rich was mentioning before um but it wouldn't have been perfect like we have today you know no, not atomic been, i suppose yeah can, no and of course you can you can use quite simple um equations in physics to work out the duration sorry the period of the swing um, but it was never going to be 100% accurate, just things like friction and whatever. And it made me think of this. On Saturday night just gone, I had a, an accidental <laughs> massive night out. And I went to a, a bar just down the road, and um, there was a DJ playing and a big party going on. So I, I hung out there for the night, made some new friends. And I, and I really noticed something. The DJ was playing like a, quite a spread of tunes, some from the 90s, particularly late 90s, and some from uh, this year, maybe last year as well. And there was a significant difference in the feel 
between the the tracks. We, it was all techno, so there's not really been a great deal of change in techno over this time. But there was a kind of um, uh, fluidity to the older records, a kind of bounce. Do you think it was Atari? Of, I, was I that Atari or NPC? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it would have been, it would have been the not just the clocking that was coming from those uh, the, the Atari uh, maybe running Cubase or the MPC, but it also I think it was the fact that the the MIDI signals were coming out of cables and then going to a, another unit that that had its own latency and, and I think also crucially its own jitter, and it just meant that although things were basically in time the whole whole time if you were lucky there was always just a slight movement to it um in terms of its uh, accuracy all, all the instruments in this sort of midi chain and i think it, it just contributes to a very different feel to the to the records made electronically with midi let's say prior to this century where things have all moved into the computer where uh, accurate clocks is ultimately what computers depend on it was just a, something that kind of occurred to me i i I don't know whether I necessarily miss it, but if you line up these records next to each other, you can certainly hear it. So there you go. That's really interesting, actually. I know, Rich, I mean, there's the, in the studio, there's a fixation, I mean, among certain kinds of music. I'm not all. And I, you you obviously deal with great players where less of that kind of editing and moving around on the grid is, is required or you're, you're trying to keep some of that. But do you... Uh, uh, Okay, I'm generalising, but do you, have you noticed? I mean, it's it's almost like the boiling frog. You kind of don't notice that things are changing over that period of time. I mean, are you aware of that? Because I mean, you often go back to older multi tracks and you're flipping around between eras. So that as the technology changed the feel. Oh, you're muted. Take a drink, everybody. <laughs> uh, yes, take a drink. Um, it certainly has changed the process of looking at that, but I go back, I mean, since I was enjoying Steve's recollection so much, um, in the early 80s, I was synchronizing the memory mode sequencer via the Dr. Click to FSK Tone and right. triggering other MIDI devices from it. And I discovered that those MIDI devices had a timing offset range of over 60 milliseconds in some cases between them and so could not be operated simultaneously with a pocket that was desirable at least to me so i had developed a fairly fancy trick of delaying the fsa fsk tone 100 milliseconds on the way back for the first pass which was drums usually lindrum and then uh, having variability on both sides of that 100 milliseconds that would allow me to synchronize subsequent instruments with differing amounts of MIDI response times so that uh, I could create the pocket I wanted. Neat. So I don't know that it's changed in terms of the result beyond the fact that aesthetics kind of drive these things, but it's always been possible to do. It's just a question of how Sisyphusian you're willing to be with regards to getting it done. So by the end of the 80s, when I was using the sync clavier, um, I had developed some pretty fancy techniques for using the sync clavier uh, to uh, quantize to the degree I wanted live performances that had been taken freely and uh, was using that for that purpose. And again, you, you're adjusting things by ear. You're adjusting them to where you think they sound good. So, um, 
I think the aesthetic's always been since since we've used electronic things to trigger electronics. We've always had to sort of adapt to the delay of the moment. Mm. <laughs> you know? The delay and, of the moment. Uh, That's interesting. So yeah. I'm not sure that that uh, it's. I don't think the aesthetic has changed. Certainly, the methods have changed, and certainly the possibilities have grown in terms of getting it more and more and more precise in terms of uh, predictability. But. Um, the aesthetic for me has always been there, and I'm talking about always a long time, always. Yeah, and it's well, I, I before it was easy to chop samples up. I remember what we used to do was if I had a vocal that had to be synced for a remix, I'd sample as much as I could get in my 950 or my S1000, and I'd trigger it at a certain point, and I'd put pitch bend uh, data in the gaps between the vocals. So you know, if you pitch bend it up a little bit, the the next bit would get more in time or less in time i mean it's a really long-winded way of doing it because you had to go all the way back to the beginning and then see by the time you got to the end it's like okay i need to adjust this bit because that last syllable is out and he used to do all of that kind of, and that was i mean christ that was that was insanely you know if you're talking on an s1000 you might get a 90 second sample in there it was just like gee that that took a long time or oh, it, it was probably the 950 so more more so because that would be what i was using but yeah interesting that's interesting i, I know i mean matt in many ways um cv and cl an actual clock and triggers are really rock solid they're probably the most solid because they're yeah, there might be some move in it, but they're less likely to be de an issue with that and, and CPU cycles because it's just base electronics, right? I mean, I'm guessing. I am being... Yeah. No, no, you, you're right, actually. You, this is quite a timely conversation because um, one thing that I'm, I'm moving towards is a full hybrid setup of using modular with, with, a, with a laptop. And the issue's always been synchronizing the laptop with with this lot here inside here i've got i've got several different clocks i've got clocks coming out of sequences i've got standalone clocks i've got clock dividers and i've measured them all and they're all very 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 tight they're all very very good um the issue is if obviously if you're molting things and things like that then then you can bring in jitter and that kind of thing but syncing your computer still with this not so great and over midi no way not at all and so actually this is quite timely one of the um one of the things that's that seems to be the best solver for this if anyone's interested is the um i think they're called a company called circuit happy and they do this uh, they do a standalone version they also do a very small 2hp module which kicks out ableton link and it ableton link runs over uh, it, it can generate its own Wi-Fi, um, or it, so it, it can become its own access point, I guess, and then, or it can join a, a Wi-Fi that you've already got in the house. That's that's it there, and um, and these things, an Ableton link as an alternative for essentially wireless clocking um, and bridging that gap between modular or any hardware. I mean, this can be standalone clock. Um, this seems to be some from what i can tell to be the the thing to use you've got um ableton link now obviously in ableton you've got it in bitwig i don't think it's there in logic it's on most or if not a lot of the high-end ios apps um so this thing actually can just spit out clocking information for all your ios devices your mac and for your modular 
all in one go. And it comes with its own uh, web browser interface. So you can change what actually spits out of the two outputs. So you can have uh, different gates, a reset, um, and uh, you've got a tap tempo on it and all sorts of things like that. So yeah, it's quite, quite timely. We're having this conversation, you know, if you think about music, um, anyway, and there's, this is a whole other discussion, but you know, essentially is it music is essentially, um, multiplications and divisions and subtractions uh, of, of time and frequency, you know, when you, when you break it down into that level, really. So we're just, we're always playing around with time and, and, and that kind of thing. And, um, seeing clocks like a clock divider is really good for anyone who's trying to come up with interesting rhythms instead of drawing things in on, on a grid or whatever, actually seeing something like a clock divider where it can divide things up to eight. Um, and you can see, you can see triplets and you can see, um, things divided by five or seven and what, what that actually looks like. And it's blinking at you. You can get a really great idea for rhythms visually before you even start plugging or patching anything in. And then you start thinking about, well, what if I combine those and then you start using a mixer for those kind of things and adding, adding, um, adding these, this, these numbers together, which again, goes back to what I just said, which is adding, multiplying, subtracting. Yeah. Time, interesting. Frequency. Interesting. So, yeah. Nice one. Well, thank you very much. Um, I should probably, uh, I'm running a little bit late, so I should probably just now have a little word from my friends over at Isotope, who are also running a Black Friday sale. And I'll give you some details on how to maybe save a little bit more money, uh, even on top of that, just after this message. Isotope Producers Club is a -a one-of-a-kind membership for producers ready to take their tracks to the next level. Once you join, you'll gain access to powerhouse Isotope plugins and a curated selection of tools from our partners, such as Melodyne from Celimony. Plus, as long as you're a member, you'll get every future update to the Isotope plugins in your membership for no extra cost. We'll also regularly serve you new curated content like exclusive inspiration-sparking sample packs and preset packs and industry-leading training ranging from our own tutorials to vocal production lessons from the world-renowned Berkeley Online, taught by Grammy-winning producer and engineer, Prince Charles Alexander. With new content being added every month full of valuable production techniques, tips and tricks, and solutions to common production problems, becoming a member is an investment in your career that grows as you and your career do. For more information on Isotope Producers Club, head to isotope.com. And of course, if you head to isotope.com, that's not the button I want. This is the button I want, uh, slash Sonic Talk. You'll be brought to this page here, which will also have a link to uh, some Black Friday sales stuff, which is actually live and direct at the moment. And if uh, you wanted to save a little bit more, you go to, uh, say, Neutron 3 Standard. I've already already done this. And you add the coupon code SONIC10. You can save an additional 10% on all of those savings. I'm not sure if they meant to keep that live, but I'm just going to tell you out there. And you can get a whole bunch of stuff. I mean, they're doing loads of sales, not only the holiday bundles, all the kind of, all the usual things. And you can save 10% additionally on an already big sale. We thank Isotope for continuing to sponsor the show. I know they they are listeners and have been for many years. So uh, thanks, guys. Uh, Much appreciated. And gals, much appreciated. Okay. Um... Now, I was going to get onto, I think we should probably get onto this one because this is kind of an interesting, this seems like it might be a really interesting new piece of technology. So, 
That's the wrong one. This is the one I wanted. Mixing That's engineers it. have fixed recording problems using parametric EQ since the 70s. EQ in all its varieties can correct I love certain this. issues, but recordings often get complicated with many factors like equipment, location, and level of isolation. When EQ can't get the job done, engineers spend time devising intensive and specific solutions. I particularly like the, oh, the engineer not being able to get the job done. Uh, this is the new Eventide split, <laughs> split EQ, uh, which is a really interesting, I mean, it, it, I don't know how new it is, but it feels like it's new. It's creating a bit of a stir. I've seen it advertised everywhere, and I've seen people talking about it as well. And it takes the incoming signal, and it can split it between the transient and the kind of sustain portion, and you can EQ those differently and I think dynamically. And from the examples that they were playing, there were some really interesting uh, and quite effective things going on there. Rich, I'm going to come to you because I, 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 you know, you probably use EQ more than I do because uh, your day job is working with audio where EQ is required and specifically specific types of EQ for specific jobs, whereas I just use whatever's in front of me if I need to make my voice brighter or duller. That's kind of the extent of it most of the time. Uh, and I know you, uh, you know, there's even type people are very smart. Have you had a chance to check this out? I have not had a chance to use it. I did look at their video and listen to their examples and examine how they've applied what is already sort of existing technology, which separates the tonal aspects from the uh, envelope aspects. And we've seen things that, tra that are usually called transient shapers that do that, that purport to do that. And so once that analysis possibility becomes available, why not stick it in an EQ? I have to use it to know. There's a yeah. part of me the old part <laughs> that feels that this could be enough rope with which to hang one's self. Um, <laughs> but at the same time, there may be a level of expertise with it that does get you the most desirable result imaginable and um, that I just haven't experienced yet. So I'm open to it. It's a very clever use of what I think is more or less existing technology to apply to this kind of thing. Um, I am a giant fan of um, dynamic EQs and uh, have great, have had good success using them to mostly tame harshnesses that arise above a certain vocal threshold. Um, but there are plenty of other uses for them as well. And the, I imagine there could be a lot of uses for this, but I just have to see how easy it is to use and how likely it is that I think people are going to be able to get good results with the thing because you're looking at uh, you're looking at deeply separating two things across the full bandwidth rather than just your yeah. kick drum rather than just saying how's the attack on this kick drum versus the the sustain portion and do I need to readjust that and that's one kind of transient shaping that we've all now been dealing with for probably a couple of decades or maybe a decade and a half this it takes that whole thing to another level and i i do need to actually spend some time with it to know yeah i think fun. i think that's a fair a fair point um uh, it, uh, just to let you know it's on offer 99 bucks at the moment for 179 so you know it's a it's a reasonably it's a reasonably good deal that's kind of almost half price i would say 50 percent, well, almost exactly 50 percent. uh steve I, I i don't know how much mixing i mean you know listening to some of the stuff that you've been putting out you know it's, it's there's a lot of care and attention that's gone into the sound of that so i'm guessing you know eq's the tools we gen generally uh, reach for are often just 
ones that are in the DAW and you just use that. But it, it, it's not a very sexy thing to buy, is it? A sort of third-party uh, EQ plug-in or indeed an equaliser in many ways. Uh, no, 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 I think you're absolutely right there, uh, Nick. Um, and I was just thinking of what Rich was saying. I've got plenty of, uh, well, I've got a whole selection of ropes here that I've hung myself with over the years. <laughs> um, I think I'm very happy to get another one in. This um, <laughs> this uh, plug-in looks really uh, interesting. Uh, when I first uh, looked at this on their demonstration video, I, I, there was a, a good couple of minutes I was thinking, yeah, okay, you know, sure, fine. I, I couldn't really see what this was going to give me that I wasn't already getting from uh, Soothe and uh, if you have to say that carefully by Oak Sound or OX Sound, oh, yeah. you know, they they do a, a, the really really incredibly useful sort of um, dynamic processors. Um, then about three and a half minutes into the video, they show you um, how they've used this um, split EQ to isolate the instruments that are playing within what seems to be, if not a full band recording, it's certainly bass guitar and drums. And they've managed to essentially remove the drums. Uh, ah, I didn't see that. And lay, left the bass and the guitar there. This was this was extraordinary. You know, we, we've seen stuff like this, similar to this, with um, Isotope's RX uh, software, which is amazing, I use all the time. But that's an offline process. And it's not terribly tweakable this seems to be like an online process as in real time i should say and you can tweak it as you go and you can just sort of tune in what transients are going to survive um and what aren't so just basically just to cut to the chase the idea of putting in um you know let's say a sample of an old record or something that i've recorded or whatever and being able to eliminate or enhance instruments based on the quality of their transients as well as their frequency, I think is could be creatively well, it, it could be extraordinary. So, and given that this is $99, I, I will definitely be getting this. I do think that the proof is in the pudding, uh, which is what Richard said, you know, in the sense that it, it the, the concept seems great, but what's it like in reality? But if it, yeah. if it is as simple as it shows on the, uh, the demo video, it's worth 99 of my bucks. Right. Oh, well, excellent. Uh, it's interesting, Matt. Another example was they took uh, an acoustic guitar, I believe, and they sort of put the sustain uh, on one side and the fret noise on the other, like you would often mic a stereo, uh, mm. an acoustic guitar like that. So it's sort of almost creating kind of pseudo stereo out of a single source. Um, it looks like it's got a lot of interesting points. And as we know, I mean, even Tide have been uh, uh, certainly a history of being the algorithm meisters um, for many decades. So this maybe this is just another yeah. new, a new string to the bow and a new fancy one that they've come up with. But it looks good. Yeah, I've got the the whole Eventide Suite plugin. I have that. I have sound toys, and that's that, that's pretty much it. I think that I think they're the only things that I have installed these days. I've got some of the Artori stuff, and by the way, that fifty percent off looks amazing. The um, the filters and the the reverbs are brilliant. The delays. This um, this plugin though is, I'm, I'm I don't get excited about EQs. I'm like with Steve, Soothe is great. I think the only other EQ that I bought is the Waves H EQ which does middle and side eq which if anyone hasn't experimented with middle and side eq it'll just open up a whole new world for you when i first 
came across middle and side EQ, I was like, oh, I see. That allowed me actually to get a lot of um, a lot of the kind of traits that this one's moved totally into that world of um, that ability that you just mentioned, Nick, of separating the kind of strumming and, and the other things left and right. Um, you can't do that with middle and side, but you can do a lot of other things with middle and side. I, in fact, every single release I've done this year, bar maybe two of them, are just stereo mixes. They're live jams, stereo mix, and that's all I end up with. Uh, I'm just about, I'm just about just capturing the moment. That's all it is for me, and they're not necessarily mixed amazingly. In fact, I can't mix them afterwards. They are mixed on the fly. I have to make all those decisions as I'm performing about levels, about frequency, mm. all that. It, once it's printed, it's printed. So what I can do only really is a bit of EQing and a bit of limiting, um, and that's that's all I can do. Now, the Waves H EQ has allowed me to do a lot of stuff with middle and side, which has got me out of trouble a few times, and, um, and just using limiting like L1, L2, that kind of thing. But what this will allow me to do, and this is why I'm keen to try it out, for someone like me who's just basically jamming and recording to two-track, um, this is going to be a good get-out-of-jail card, I'm sure, for things like... Uh, for example, I always... Pretty much my kick drums are always too quiet when I'm, when I'm recording down, um, and that's mainly to do with the monitoring of my room. I, I think they're louder than they are, and that's just because... I'm in a bit of a cavernous, boomy area here. So what this will probably allow me to do is grab them a little bit more and pull them up, which would be really interesting. But what I'm also interested in is going back to what you just said, Nick, which is about splitting that that sound and splitting it left and right. Imagine applying that to a full mix of a track. You could, you could really mess stuff up, couldn't you? You could send like all your kind of, um, I know, a lot of the transients from a synth line to the left and then all the kind of tonality to the right of a full mix that might be quite interesting so uh, i'm definitely interested in sort of m trying to misuse this plugin and and see what i can squeeze out of it um 99 dollars yeah it's a lot of money for an eq but there's there's nothing that not as much as 179 dollars really that's for sure <laughs> yeah totally man totally uh, i just wanted to say i've put a uh i've put a, a poll in the uh in the youtube chat just because it certainly popped up as a so for show title we've currently got red glue fiasco or uh the algorithm masters are the two the two titles that i'm working on at the moment so if you want to vote on that that's currently in the youtube chat uh, i will we're, we're working on trying to introduce this across more platforms but i just thought i'd throw that in there uh yeah this is this does look interesting so uh, yeah definitely How's everybody for time? Because I was just thinking we could. Uh, we w there are more topics, but I'm conscious that we've had a lot of your uh, your time. Is everybody? Is everybody? Is everybody okay? How are you doing, Steve? I, I'm okay. No, I'm afraid I I have to. Um, I'm, I'm doing tech support on a on a award show actually, internet award show. So oh. I'm going to have to go in a few moments. Okay. All right. Well, we will say uh, maybe what we should do is is uh, we could say goodbye to you, and then maybe we can uh, throw in one more topic if everybody's up for it. Uh, just because I uh, I'm, I'm on a roll, I'm making up for last week. Uh, but Steve, thank you so much for joining <laughs> us. <laughs> oh, now now I'm now I'm kicking you off prematurely. I do apologise for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> 
know. It's a bit like when you're at a party and you say, oh, I'd better go soon. Everyone says, oh, bye. <laughs> yeah, no, I haven't gone yet. Like, oh, I did well ask. Done. It wasn't, it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. uh, I did want to put this out there as well, because uh, I was checking out your, uh, if you go to stephenhillier.net, you've got your variations and uh, there's a, a new track on there, which I, oh, well, from October, which I thought sounded really lovely. What is that image? Is it a piece of mother okay. of pearl? Um, it, I'm not, I'm not entirely sure. There's a, 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 an old and dear friend of mine. We've, we've worked together over the years, uh, photographer and artist called Roger Newbrook. And he's done, um, do, do you know what, Nick, I, I'm, I'll have to ask him. I, I'd always, I, I love the image, but I haven't thought to ask him what it is. So, um, <laughs> I, I will do. It looks like I, a slice, um, maybe a slice of, on. a slice of quartz or something. But anyway, Steve, thank you so much well, for joining us, but it's been a pleasure. I, I, sorry, I, I'm, I'm cutting you off now. You've still got me. Use your time. <laughs> Say what you need to say. Um, uh, well, uh, no, no, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, thanks so much for, for having me. And um, any uh, other artwork queries, I'll try and answer on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Uh, well, Cheers, I, guys. I, oh, thank you very much, Steve. Lovely to have you. Well, uh, if you're, uh, if the rest of you are okay, we can uh, we can maybe do the. Uh, I wasn't sure. What does everybody? If anybody feels more strongly about the studio management tool or the RTX case. Uh, I, I guess computer cases are a little bit. Uh, a show of hands for the uh, studio management tool. Yeah, that's dry. Uh, <laughs> I would have gone for the, the, the Zoom hard disk. Oh, yes, the of Zoom course. Thing. The, the, the Zoom, Zoom thing. thing, yes. All right, let's yeah. do that then. All right. Let's do, is this it? No, that's not. This is no, it. No, that's... Uh, yep, yeah, I got it. Okay, let's do the Zoom <laughs> thing. Hi, I'm Omar Hakim. Today, Hi, Omar. me and my band, Osmosis, are going to do some recording. Random... Random product Sometimes demo guy of the world. Uh, yeah. Groove or an idea right away. And I don't want to turn on my laptop and I don't want to fuss with an audio interface. I just want to plug in a mic and just start recording the idea. When I first saw the R20, I thought. Okay, I won't play that. Yeah, I've, I saw, I was like, I'm a Hakeem, like world, world renowned superstar, superstar uh, uh, drummer, you know, man who played on. I mean, so many things, but uh, Peter Gabriel, so many other stuff. In I, our I band. With Rich, as you played with you, you played with Rich. Yeah, yeah, he played 10 years in our band. Wow. Wow. Cool, cool. Did yeah. he tell you about this then? Were you aware of, it, of this uh, this latest performance, his latest appearance? Well, the last time the he played in our band was about 15 years ago. Ah, so okay. he didn't mention this particular device. <laughs> but um, uh, this is a very interesting device. And. Um, Many this interesting it. things about it, but uh, I loved I loved the the quickness and the convenience and the fact that you can plug mic straight into it and just go into record and have an SD card in it and go for it. Um, it's interesting. I'm going to go right to the core of this thing. It's interesting that it's got one sample rate, forty four point one. Yeah. Period. That, that is a bit like forty four one because <laughs> that's what it's got. That's yeah, well, which is forty eight. That is, is it, well, it is 24 bit, I suppose. It does do 24 bit. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, and it's yeah. not like I, in a blind test, I'm likely to get, get them all right when you start playing them to me. But still, uh, that's a very interesting design choice to make in a world where you can buy a $200 interface that'll do 96K. 
Yeah, I would agree with that. It's interesting. I mean, the the thing that's that's cool about this, I mean, just a quick, it'll record up to eight tracks at the same time. It's got very limited, so it's got phantom power on a couple of inputs. It's also got uh, just literally record ready, gain, and a fader. But it's also got a touchscreen, which allows you to move and cut and paste and kind of copy and loop clips. So it kind of makes it a little bit more like almost an iPad experience, which, but, but, just the fact that we can just grab it. I mean, I'm not sure how comfortable I'd feel with editing multi-track masters on a tiny little touchscreen like right. that. But, and, and to be fair, this is on the Zoom Japan site. We don't know anything more about it. A couple of other sites, uh, Synthetopia and Synth Anatomy, picked up on it. and uh, I spotted it as well, and I was just thinking, hmm, because Zoom, quite often things show up on the Zoom Japan site before they show up anywhere else. So we don't know how much it's going to be. I'd imagine affordable, but we've seen the L, I think it's the L20 and the L16, which were uh, more mixer-based stuff. This is just sort of more straightforward and simpler. This looks kind of—it looks kind of cool. Be nice to throw in a bag and just kind of record a band without too much other stuff going on. Although, obviously, you'd have to deal with mic splits and whatnot if you were using it in a in a in a like a live situation. But for the basic idea, kind of pretty cool. What do you think? Are you uh, do you encourage this kind of one box does it all? I mean, it's kind of it's a bit like the blue box, but 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 no effects and more stuff. Yeah, I think for for multiple purposes, this is great. This is great if you are rehearsing in a band, you're in a rehearsal room, just bang, chuck a few mics into there so you can actually take something away relatively easily, load it up onto a DAW when you get home and listen to things with the multi-track, basically. (laughs) And um, for anyone who's in a band, by the way, I would always say record your rehearsals so you can have a listen back to them objectively because they sound a lot different when you're in that moment in the room, I'm sure. So I'd always recommend that. So this lends itself to that. Um, It only allows you to record eight of the tracks simultaneously, though. That's the only thing. So you're limited to that. And I'm wondering if maybe... 16-track playback, I think, as well. Yeah, 16-track playback. And I'm wondering if they're going to test the waters with this because this is still in its concept phase. So I'm wondering if, in fact, they're going to test the waters with this and then they'll maybe offer the next model up, which will offer more more tracks. Um, there are quite a lot of things on the market, a lot of sound cards on the market. And actually, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago when I was on the show. And I think it's a Tascam sound card I had my eye on or an Ellen and Heath one. And it literally... It's got nothing on it except for a record button and a USB stick and, oh, there's a play button. And you can just record, I think it's like 16 tracks straight away, um, very high frequency. I'm not sure it does 96. It might do. Straight to USB. And uh, literally then take your USB out, chuck it into your Mac, drag those files into a DAW, and you're golden. Essentially providing you with what you've got here. Um, but I don't think it has the XLR inputs like this ah, yes because this isn't even combi is it this is purely uh there is two combis no, and then the rest two combis, of, two combis yeah. and the rest yeah so it's yeah it's 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 very i mean i suppose the thing is is if i you know if i was to see something like this at a rehearsal room it wouldn't be much use but something like the xr18 or you know i know some of these mm. digital mixers which have all of this stuff and then if you just show it with a computer and you just plug it in and just go yeah can you just record all the inputs i've got coming out then yeah you know that makes more sense to me something that's a bit more integrated in terms of a uh, of, a, yeah. of a, a digital desk with recording features or a sound card with recording features because you're going to be using it in situ perhaps already. Yeah. Yeah, what this has got going for it is those XLR inputs, bang, straight in, go. 
um, portability, slam it in your bag. You don't need a computer, you just need a power supply and you're good to go. And that little touchscreen for what it's, you, I mean, I wouldn't do any, think of doing any editing on it, but to actually visually see the kind of arrangement, uh, see your sound waves going in, you'll get an idea if your waveform's clipping or not, you know, that kind of thing. That, so they're the main things that's got going f for it over a standalone sound card without the XLR. You're still going to need a, a, a computer in some cases to power it, but you're certainly going to need a mixer anyway to plug in those um, those microphones. So there's, there's pros and cons to this. It's, it's interesting. I'm surprised we haven't really seen anything like this before. I'm wondering if something similar could be achieved, though, with an iPad yeah, with well, a, I, I, with yeah. a small interface, but it, it entirely can. I know that Gaz, that's what Gaz does with his uh, Cubasis and uh, and an XR18. As in, I mean, Rich, do you re you record? Do you record rehearsals from time to time? And I'm no, I'm I know you've, yeah. you've mentioned that, yeah. And do yes, you come? Do you do? Do you do a split, or do you? How how would you? I just usually. Uh, well, it's been a long time since I recorded a rehearsal. Usually, our sound crew does it via whatever digital console they're using in the rehearsal space. But well, the last time I did it, I just brought a Zoom H4N stereo device and put it in front of the band, and that was us recording right. rehearsal. It wasn't intended mm -hmm. for Not uh, further usage. But one other very possibly interesting usage for this thing is as a tracks playback device for bands who require such in their yeah. live performances, which is like a lot of bands. So um, it, I, it, I believe it does seem to operate to uh, clock tempos because I saw some one of those displays. I think it's got real-time time, time stretch. Yeah, there's a time stretch thing going on so, there as well. Um, but in any case, just for playback of backing tracks, this could prove to be a rather useful It could device. be. The only thing is it's only got, it only seems to have a stereo out. Which is not enough. I mean, there are other devices. Right? Yeah, that's that's it. There were some other. There was a well. In some circumstances, it would work. Do, yeah, I mean, you could mix uh, sixteen sources out of that stereo output on yeah. the device. So there's true. something to be. That's to true. Be, there's some use for that at certain price points at certain experience yeah. levels. It would need. You know. If it feels like it would, it's almost like well, if you didn't have the touchscreen but you had more outputs, it might be more useful because it's. Un, I would imagine one was unlikely to edit a full multi-track and create a music edit on something like that when you could do it ease, more easily, presumably on an actual iPad or something with a screen or something with a bit more kind of information going on. Maybe I don't know. I don't know what. But, yeah. Uh, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I understand. Because uh, you know, the, with an iPad, you have a you have to connect an interface with multiple yeah, outputs true. on. I mean, is yeah. yeah, a that's different true. level of complexity. Yeah, that's true. Anyway, I thought I'd just throw that up there. I thought it was kind of fun, uh, and uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for guiding me that way. So far, I just uh, how's the show title doing? I'll bring that up on this page. Looks like <laughs> Red Glue Fiasco is winning by quite a margin, with almost oh, eighty percent eighty percent of the uh, of the votes there. So thanks for your input, folks. Much appreciated, uh, Matt. It's been lovely to have you. Uh, I guess you're you're, you're right. back to uh, creating the last couple of tracks of the year for you and the. Do tell us when yeah. your video's up, because uh, when, you, when you've done that sort of data analysis, because I'd be very interested in that. Yeah, I certainly will. It's probably something I'll do over Christmas when everyone's got a bit of time and they want to sit down. I'll probably do it as a live stream so um, people can get involved as a bit of a Q&A, that kind of thing. And also just to celebrate the end of doing the one track a month for, for the whole year and making it through. 
Um, and also getting a lot of questions about, you know, what's now in the racks and that kind of thing. Yeah. So I'll probably do a little walkthrough of what modules have been useful in all of the trucks I've been using, um, how I've used them, ones that haven't, what I've been surprised about, all that kind of thing, really. Uh, mixing, full recaps coming. So, yeah, I'll certainly let, let you know on that, Nick. But thanks for having me. Great to be here with Rich and Steve. You're absolutely welcome, as ever. And Rich, lovely to see you again. I'm glad you're going to have a little bit of quality time at home, although I guess it's perhaps not barbecue weather. Has the, has the snow started falling yet, um, or is it uh, still clement? It's, uh, wow, it's clement. But uh, it's cold at night. It was uh, minus four centigrade this morning. Um, but it's But it's up around 15 degrees centigrade now. So, uh it's getting there, and there will be snow soon. But um, just I'm I am happy to be home and uh, taking care of some projects here at home, and uh, it's all good. Excellent. Well, lovely to have you all, and lovely to have everybody here. So uh, I guess that's it for this week. We'll say Steve can't wave because he's gone early. But thank you very much, everybody. <laughs> uh, and if you have been supporting us on Patreon, your name of uh, uh, the upper tiers should appear now, assuming the tech works. But that's it for this week. We'll say a goodbye and thanks for watching. See you next time. Bye bye now.